Rejoice, O hearts that seek the Lord. Welcome to No Nonsense Catholics. Hopefully that'll be our, our first and only hiccup today. Great to have you with us. I am your host, Matthew Arnold, and the confusion stops here. I got a lot of talk uh, about today, including an answer to a particularly relevant question for Easter time, which is, how do you know that Jesus really rose from the dead? And what would you say if somebody asked you that question? Well, you're going to hear the answer a little later on in the program. But first, this is the maiden voyage of No Nonsense Catholic. And I just want to take a moment to say thanks to Virgin Most Powerful Radio for being so accommodating regarding the new show and uh, to thank you for listening and for your support of VMPR's ministry. And most especially to thank God for the opportunity to spend an hour with you each week clearing up confusion about the Catholic faith. It is what I am called to do, and it is a blessing. So first things first, why no nonsense Catholic? I can tell you in the 20-some years that I've been involved in Catholic evangelization and apologetics, there has never been more confusion about the Catholic faith than there is right now. And it comes from a variety of sources, but it's well to remember the inspired words of St. Paul, that God is not the God of confusion, but the God of peace. And that's no nonsense. Now, uh, let's see. A, a major source, I think, quite naturally, uh, of confusion about the Catholic faith is intentional. And it comes from those who have historically opposed the Catholic Church. So on the one hand, among uh, non-Catholic Christians, you have fundamentalists who purposely target Catholics for conversion version, because they seriously think that Catholics worship statues, and that the Pope is the Antichrist, and the Church is the Whore of Babylon, and most especially that the Catholic faith is unbiblical, which is nonsense. You know, why do you Catholics pray to Mary when the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus? Why do you call your priest father when the Bible says, call no man on earth your father? Why do you follow tradition? when the Bible condemns tradition. Uh, using the Bible to attack the Catholic Church is like tearing a man's arm off and beating him over the head with it. I mean, because it is the Catholic Church that gave us the Bible in the first place. Now, on the other extreme, you have the atheists and agnostics and secular humanists uh, who think that Christians in general, and Catholics in particular, are contemptible, dangerously irrational, uh, the enemy of science, and therefore an obstacle to progress, by which they typically mean sexual license and killing the unborn. Now, you have to understand, these extremes are strange bedfellows, because while they are mutually contradicting, they're both prone to accepting and repeating the same old anti-Catholic slanders, no matter how often they've been debunked. And even though accurate information about Catholic belief and practice is more readily available today than ever before in the history of history. The Catholic Bible, and I should say Bibles, many translations, the catechism in all the major languages, the documents of the church councils, all of this is available online for free. And since this is the case, there's really no excuse for our adversaries to continue to employ such anti-Catholic nonsense as that the church is anti-Bible or anti science. And the availability, and this is for you and me, the availability of good information makes it doubly inexcusable for Catholics to fall 
for anti-Catholic nonsense. Because we have a responsibility to know what the church teaches. And unfortunately, there are sources of confusion even within the church itself. Uh, for example, what Bishop Sheen called butt Catholics. And that is uh, those who say such things as, I'm Catholic, but. I'm Catholic, but I'm pro-choice. I'm Catholic, but I don't believe in purgatory. I'm Catholic, but I use contraception. Um, I'm Catholic, but I consult my horoscope every day. I'm Catholic, but I think the church should change its teaching on fill in the blank, insert heresy here. And sadly, this but culture, if you will, can be found even among prominent clergy and religious as well as the laity. And a quick trip to the internet will confirm that there is no shortage of but Catholics who think that it's possible to remain a good Catholic while at the same time rejecting some truths or uh, truth or truths of the faith. Or, or who believe that the truths of the Catholic faith are subject to change without notice, which again is nonsense. And you and I need to be able to recognize and reject out of hand this kind of nonsense, regardless of the source. Okay, for those of you watching on YouTube, read my lips. There is no expiration date on the truth. Scripture says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whoever breaks one commandment is guilty of breaking them all. Now, that also has a flip side. The flip side of the butt Catholics are the, the not traditional Catholics, Catholics, but the radical traditionalists, uh, people who consider themselves literally more Catholic than the Pope. Uh, and it, it ranges from those who are hypercritical of Second Vatican Council and the new liturgy to the full-on set of acantists who are absolutely convinced that there hasn't been a valid Pope since Pius XII, and that Catholics who are in communion with Pope Francis are all going to hell, which is industrial strength nonsense. Now, it is the job of the bishops. The bishops are the official teachers of the Catholic Church, and it is their job to clear up confusion. But in the current re reality, in the world of social media, you have to take it upon yourself to know your faith and to be willing to share it with charity and, and clarity. But you just have to be aware that the price of clarity is the risk of insult. But it's a price that we have to be willing to pay. Because as uh, Benedict XVI said, evil draws its power from indecision and concern for what other people think. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of the gospel, I'm going to be ashamed of you. And consider these words from St. John Paul II. He said, lay people must be strong enough and sufficiently catechized to testify how the Christian faith constitutes the only valid response to the problems and hopes that life poses to every person and society. Look at what he said. Lay Catholics, you and I, have to be bold enough and know our faith well enough to tell the world why Jesus Christ is the only answer to our problems the only fulfillment of our hopes. He's, he's not one answer among many. It's not the preferred answer. It's the only answer. Our Lord himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And everyone who is of the truth 
listens to my voice. If you remain in my word, you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus gave the authority and the responsibility to defend and to proclaim the truth to his one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And that is no nonsense. Now, this is the program. And and with this in mind, I want to invite you. You can go to YouTube, especially those of you who are watching on YouTube. Quick trip. Uh, I have a channel, No Nonsense Catholic. And I'm actually working on a whole new website right now. uh, NoNonsenseCatholic.com. I'm going to be putting up lots of exclusive content, and I will let you know um, as soon as it's up and running and, and officially uh, available. But you can go right now to No Nonsense Catholic YouTube channel and access more than a dozen short YouTube videos answering common objections to the faith and another, I think, 17 um, on the teaching of Servant of God Fulton J. Sheen. And also on um, NoNonsenseCatholic.com, uh, I'll be putting up a, a concise catechism called Our Catholic Faith. I did a DVD of the same name back in 2005. And you can check that out. You can read it at your own pace. And it's just the simple, straightforward fundamentals of Catholicism. And there's a link right there to the compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So you can go deeper uh, if you want to. So No Nonsense Catholic, go to the YouTube channel right now. And uh, I'm sure by next week, the uh, website, nononsensecatholic.com, Kind of under construction right now. Uh, you can go over there, but it might be sort of hit and miss because we'll be working on it a lot in the next week. Um, anyway, when we come back, we're going to be talking about the resurrection of our Lord and how do we know that our Lord Jesus rose from the dead. But before we go, I want to mention that as excited as I am about this program, and I really am, there's, there's so much uh, going into it, and it's kind of the tip of the iceberg with that 20 years of, of apologetics and evangelization underneath. But I'm also going to be doing another new show, another weekly show. We're going to start in, oh, probably three weeks or so with Father Chris Alar of the Marians of the Immaculate Conception. That's the, the Divine Mercy Order of Priests. And, uh, you know, it's the same one with uh, Father Calloway and uh, Father Michael Gately and Father Chris Alar. It's going to be called Understanding Divine Mercy. And there's a good uh, chance that you're familiar with Father Chris Alar. Aylor, he's been on the Jesus 911. I know they've used some of his material. He's been a guest on Terry and Jesse show, and he's been on EWTN a lot and, and lots of radio programs and whatnot. So I'm sure he'll be a familiar voice. He's a, he's a terrific priest. And also, um, Jesse Romero and company have a new show that's going to be starting in a week or just a couple weeks called the Liber Cristo War College Situation Room, where Kyle and Dan from Liber Cristo and from time to time, um, Father Chad Rippinger is going to be on with Jesse Romero talking about spiritual warfare. So a lot of stuff going on, a lot of exciting new things happening here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, and we want you to be a part of it. And um, I I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to this next segment about how do we know our Jesus rose from the dead. We'll be back with that and more with uh, No Nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay tuned.
this is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. Mom's going to have a baby? She is? Will it be a boy? Or will it be a girl? We don't know yet, but we heard the heartbeat, and my dad said this is going to be someone very special. You mean like being a president? Or maybe a doctor? Well, probably maybe like a singer or dancer, I think. Hello, my name is Marianne Kuharski. I'm the director of Pro-Life Across America. We know that every baby is a miracle and has the potential to do great things. If you know someone who is pregnant or in need of alternatives or assistance or would like to support the work of Pro-Life Across America, please call 1-800-366-7773 or visit our website at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Pro-Life Across America is non-political and totally educational. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. All right, welcome back. It's the maiden voyage of no-nonsense Catholic, and great to have you along with us. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. On the third day after his death, Jesus reunited his soul with his body and rose in glory from the grave. The resurrection of Christ is the greatest and most important event of our Catholic faith because, as St. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, then empty is our preaching and empty too your faith. So what do you say when someone asks you, how do you know Jesus rose from the dead? As Christians, we know that our Lord uh, rose from the dead, mainly from the testimony of the apostles. They saw the risen Christ with their own eyes. They spoke with him. They ate with him. They touched him. And most importantly, they gave their lives for him. And uh, skeptics have made a lot out of the uh, so-called discrepancies in the various gospel accounts of the resurrection and the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. But these differences concern details that are easily accounted for uh, in the same way uh, that various eyewitnesses to a traffic accident may remember different details or give slightly differing reports or from different perspectives, but the accident itself remains a fact. Now, all four Gospels agree that Jesus rose from the dead, 
and that he appeared to the apostles and others. And the differences, such as they are, actually serve to establish the truth of the resurrection and the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus more so uh, than if each account was exactly the same in every detail, uh, like the witnesses of the traffic accident. Still, throughout the Christian era, the last 2,000 years, there have been those who doubted or denied the resurrection of Christ. And frequently, they would want to dismiss the resurrection as the product of, of wishful thinking, that the apostles wanted so much for it to be true that they just convinced themselves that it happened. This is the resurrection of faith. But this is high-octane nonsense, and it's readily obvious to anyone who gives a fair reading to the four Gospels. And especially, usually you look at Matthew 28 and Mark chapter 16, Luke 24, John 20, and see how much it took to convince the apostles that Jesus really had, had risen from the dead. Now, the one fact that all of the ancient sources agree on, whether it's pagan or Jewish or Christian, is that on that first Easter Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. And the scriptures, and a dash of common sense, offer really compelling evidence against the, uh, the so-called natural explanations for the fact of this empty tomb. And there are four that are, that are kind of enduring. You still hear them to this day. Probably um, the most popular over the last hundred years or so is that Jesus was only unconscious, and then he revived later. This is called the swoon theory. Now, if you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, you're going to understand what nonsense this is. Our good Lord was in no condition uh, to sit up on his own, much less to undo his winding sheet, much less to pull back the stone in front of the the tomb, make his way past the Roman guards, sneak back through the city unrecognized, uh, undetected, all the way to the upper room. After having been brutally scourged and crucified and stabbed in the heart with a spear and wrapped in a shroud and buried in a tomb. It, it, I don't think so. Besides, whatever the shortcomings of the Roman soldiers, they certainly knew how to execute people. They were really good at it. And the gospel tells us, uh, for example, the Roman soldiers didn't break Jesus's legs like they did with the two thieves to hasten their death because he was already dead. Um, uh, they, a Roman soldier pierced his side with a spear to make sure that he was dead. A Roman soldier reported to Pontius Pilate that Jesus was dead. Joseph of Arimathea, all four Gospels report Joseph of Arimathea taking Jesus down from the cross. And then John tells us that he and Nicodemus wrapped his body and placed it in the tomb. There is no doubt that uh, for uh, pagans, Jews, and Christians, there was no doubt that Jesus was dead. All right. Number two, the holy women went to the wrong tomb on Easter Sunday. The wrong tomb. Okay, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were there when Jesus was placed in the tomb on Good Friday. And it's just, it's just difficult to believe that they would ever forget the place that he was buried, much less you know suffer this collective amnesia the following Sunday. So that one doesn't stand up either in light of the gospel. Um, Unknown thieves, this is number three, unknown thieves stole Jesus' body. Somebody that we don't even know who it was for their own purposes uh, went past those Roman guards, moved the stone, and stole Jesus' body. Um, this first stuff just doesn't make sense, and I have a tendency to reject things that don't make sense, but it also doesn't account, or it doesn't accord 
start, I should say, with the account of Peter and John, who also went to the tomb on Easter Sunday after Mary Magdalene told them that Jesus had risen from the dead. In John chapter 20, verse 4, it says, they both ran, but the other disciple, this is John, ran faster than Peter. Not uh, terribly surprising given the fact that he was much younger. Uh, he, he ran faster and he arrived at the tomb first. He bent down and saw the burial cloths there, but did not go in. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloths there and the cloth that had covered his head, uh, not with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. Then the other disciple, that's John, also went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, and he saw and believed. So there's some special uh, some special feature about the state of these burial cloths that caused the evangelist, the beloved disciple, St. John, to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Now, there are some scholars who would think that the details about the cloths just emphasize the fact that the grave had not been robbed, which refutes the notion that the body was stolen. Others would suggest that it is because the cloths in question are the ones ones that are known today as the Sidarium of Oviedo and the Shroud of Turin. The Shroud, which was just uh, recently displayed publicly uh, uh, because of the, you know, the coronavirus. The Shroud, which has this miraculous image of a crucified man that people, including me, believe is visible, tangible evidence of the resurrection. Hence, the Bible says they saw and believed. And then number four is it's kind of a variation on number three, and that's that the Jewish leaders or the disciples themselves stole Jesus' body. And, and these explanations are nonsense. First of all, because the tomb was sealed and guarded by Roman soldiers, precisely because the Jews were afraid that the apostles might steal his body and try and claim that he'd resurrected. But, you know, it's also, I mean, first off, to think that the Jewish leaders had uh, taken our Lord's body is nonsense because they would certainly have just produced it in order to put an end once and for all to the reports of the resurrection. As for the apostles, if they had stolen the body, what does that mean? What does that tell you? It means that they would have known for a fact that Jesus was a failure and that their faith in him was unfounded, that, that his promises were meaningless. But we know that before the resurrection, they were hiding in fear of the Jews, in fear for their lives. And after the resurrection, the apostles, all of them, were ready to suffer and die for their faith, ready to suffer and die rather than deny the resurrection. Now, nobody, as far as we know, saw, actually saw Christ rise from the dead. But the facts in the case are undeniable. Jesus had died. On the third day, his tomb was empty. The appearances followed. And and the disciples believed. For them, the resurrection made the difference. In the case of the apostles uh, in particular, their belief in the risen Christ was so complete, so unqualified, so absolute, that every single one of them, according to the unanimous tradition of the early church, died rather than deny the resurrection. And this must be the most eloquent testimony to the truth of what they believed. Because nobody embraced his death, and at least of all, a cruel martyr's death for a lie that they know is a lie.
Nobody dies for something that they know isn't true. And lastly, what does the resurrection prove to us? Well, it proves that Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the one who said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of the temple of his body. It also proves to us that one day we also will rise, as St. Paul says. Just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will come to life again. And that's no nonsense. This is this, uh, the, the crowning uh, of our faith, going back to what St. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is empty, and so is your faith. But we have this very clear evidence from the Scripture, and also just from the life of the Catholic Church for 2,000 years. People have continued to give up their lives, whether they die the death of a martyr or they, they give up their life to devoted entirely to God. This is eloquent testimony. That and the fact that um, the teaching, the preaching of Jesus, the reality of his resurrection upon which it all hinges, can change the face of the Western world. And that's something else we'll be talking about uh, in, in weeks to come. But I would like to turn now to a document from St. John Paul II, which is a, uh, a pastoral plan, a no-nonsense pastoral plan for Catholics in the third millennium. And that is you and that is me. Now, I, I suppose uh, most of you listening, I think you probably, like me, remember the turn of the century. Uh, and remember back in 1999, there were two really popular currents in the secular world. Uh, on the one hand, you had people that there was all this uh, kind of peer pressure, all this social pressure to have a big blowout New Year's Eve party, right? You're never going to be around for the turn of another millennium. This is a big old deal. So you have to literally party like it's 1999. And on the other hand, and you may have forgotten about this, but on the other hand is the Y2K scare. Remember that? All it's... Uh, the, the computers are binary, and they only go to 99, and when it flips over to zero, all the computers are going to shut off, and the satellites are going to fall out of the sky, and the traffic lights are not going to work, and there's not going to be any telecommunications, <coughs> human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Now, uh, in, in the religious world, you had your fundamentalists who were absolutely convinced, I guess because it was a year that ended in zero, that Jesus was going to come. So this is, and the Y2K just put fuel to that fire. Yep, it's Armageddon, Jesus is coming back, year 2000, so look busy. Uh, at the same time, in the Catholic world, John Paul II um, had proclaimed the year 2000 as a great jubilee year in the church. And he spent the three years leading up to it preparing for the great jubilee. And in 2001, he wrote an amazing document that we'll talk about when we come back right after this. Matthew Arnold here, No Nonsense Catholic. Stay with us. Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet 
but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need covenant eyes to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code VMPR to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com Code VMPR Live Porn Free Thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thank you. God bless you. Keep the faith. Finding the right doctor for your obstetric and gynecological needs can be difficult. Do you want a doctor with impeccable references and ethical practices? One who is trustworthy and well-researched? Dr. Aceta is that doctor. As a faithful Catholic in the Kern County community, Dr. Aceta provides expert care guided by his Catholic teachings, focusing on the patient's needs according to his own specialty. Call Dr. Aceta for all your obstetrics and gynecological needs at 661-595-5617. Again, 661 661- Five nine five five six one seven for quality care without compromise. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871 because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. All right. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm Matthew Arnold, your host here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're talking about St. John Paul II's no-nonsense plan for Catholics in the third millennium. We were talking about the the turn of the century and how there was a lot of pressure to have a big blowout party, and there was the Y2K scare, and there were uh, uh, fundamentalist Christians you know, huddling together uh, in the church basement waiting for the rapture. And um, John Paul II released a document called Tertio Millennio Adveniente, as we approach the third millennium, and he proclaimed the year 2000 a great jubilee. Well, as you know, the year 2000 came and went, and Jesus, we didn't have the second coming. Um, The computers didn't all shut down. Uh, The the big blowout parties have been long forgotten. And by 2001, uh, people had kind of lost interest in the whole new millennium fever, although 2001 was actually the first year of the new millennium, 2000 being the last year of the 20th century. And in 2001, St. John Paul II issued an historic document, and and it really is historic, because for the first time in history, the Pope outlined a pastoral plan for the whole church. 
It was called Novo Millennio Eniunte, as we enter the third millennium. And I have to admit, this is not something I, I was the creative director at St. Joseph Communications. And during the run-up to the great Jubilee year, there was a great deal of emphasis on John Paul II and his teaching, Tertium Millennio Adveniente, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, scholars and, and speakers did presentations about it. And then when 2001 came, Novo Millennio Eniunte kind of got lost in the shuffle. And I, I'm ashamed to admit that it was years and years later when I finally read it. And it was a, a priest friend of mine, Father Bill McCarthy, recommended it to me. He said, this is, this is most important teaching from the Pope, uh, and you need to know about it. And so what is this, this seven-step pastoral plan? He, he's, he said, look, the Pope outlined um, the plan for you as a Catholic to get through the third millennium. And so it's a seven-step plan, and the very first step is to strive to be more holy, uh, what used to be called the quest for Christian perfection. You know, the Second Vatican Council was all about the quest for Christian perfection, and they had there was an historic document at Vatican II called Apostolicum Citatem, which, as far as I know, is the first time in history that the Church um, produced a, a document specifically about the apostolate of the laity. And in that document, it says the laity must take up the renewal of the temporal order as their own special obligation. So we are called upon to sanctify the secular order, which is to say to make the world outside the four walls of the parish church holy. And you can't give what you don't have, so we have to begin by making ourselves holy. And that's why chapter 5 of Lumen Gentium uh, says this. It says, the Lord Jesus, the divine teacher and model of all perfection, preached holiness of life to each and every one of his disciples of every condition. All the Christian faithful, of whatever rank or stature, are called to the fullness of Christian life and the perfection of charity. This is called the universal call to holiness. And this document provides a concrete plan for following that call for living it out. So strive to be more holy. Number two, that prayer needs to be a conversation with God. Bishop Sheen used to say prayer is a dialogue. And I think of the episode in uh, the Old Testament where Samuel is, uh, resides in the temple with the high priest Eli, and he hears someone speaking, wakes him up, and, and he thinks it's Eli, and he goes to him, he says, you know, did you call? And he says, no, I didn't. Go back to sleep. And uh, Scripture tells us that Samuel was sleeping near the Ark of the Covenant, which was, of course, where the presence of God would come uh, down during the time that the chosen people were in the, the desert. You know, he'd come down to the tabernacle or, or uh, in the temple. So he, he, he's woken up again with his voice calling him, and he goes to Eli, was it you? No, it wasn't me. A third time it happens, and Eli finally says, look, uh, if it happens again, and um, maybe, you know, maybe it's God <laughs> and maybe I don't want you to wake me up anymore. So he says, the next time you hear the voice say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And of course it was God and, and Samuel was uh, to be made the new high priest. And that was God himself telling him that. 
And unfortunately, I think very often when we pray, and this is something else we'll be talking about in the weeks to come, we have a tendency, I have a tendency certainly, to say, uh, listen, Lord, your servant is speaking. And I don't uh, necessarily spend the time I should uh, waiting for an answer. And uh, St. Augustine had a very practical method of doing this. He said that we speak to God when we pray, and he answers when we read the Holy Scriptures. So, number two, prayer is a conversation with God. Number three, to center our lives on the Eucharist. And John Paul II sometimes used that term interchangeably with the Blessed Sacrament and also with the celebration of the, of the Holy Mass. So, it's Mass, it's the Jesus present in the Blessed Sacrament. He said that we need to center our lives on the Eucharist. Uh, painful of course, right now that so many of us are unable to go to Mass. But it's important to remember, too, in the midst of all this COVID-19, uh, well, I, I don't know what to call it, in the midst of this crisis, that um, while the congregations are barred from the celebration, the Mass continues. The hosts and chalice are still being raised, uh, you know, every hour, on the hour, all around the globe, and Christ is being called down to the altars of the Church. And sometimes I think it's a reminder for us that um, Christ comes whether the congregation is there or not. He's present in the Word when it's proclaimed. He's present in in the, the prayers, uh, you know, in the people, and when when we pray and when we sing. He's present in the the minister who celebrates. He's he's especially present in the Blessed Sacrament. But there's one thing on that list that's not essential to the celebration of the Mass, and that's you and me. And I think we're being kind of forcefully reminded of that right now and that it's uh, uh, that it's a great privilege to go to mass and that we need to be you know, maybe more aware of uh, the way we're living our lives so and that's part of centering your life on the Eucharist all the sacraments give grace but in Holy Communion Christ himself is present we receive Christ himself body blood soul and divinity and that's why st. John Paul II called Holy Mass the source and the summit of the Christian in life. Father Paul O'Sullivan has his great little booklet, uh, The Wonders of the Holy Mass. Uh, JP2 really, he puts so much emphasis on this, so many encyclicals on the Eucharist. Uh, Dies Domini, about the um, keeping Sunday holy, which is something else, that again, that we're called to do. For those of us that, you know, we can't go to Mass, and we're maybe watching it on television or on the computer, uh, that we take the, make the effort, take the time to make Sunday a holy day. And and of course, Eucharistic adoration really exploded under John Paul II. Uh, more people in front of the Blessed Sacrament making a holy hour today than ever before. And of course, now so many people doing it kind of virtually. So centering our lives on the Eucharist. Number four on the list is frequent confession. Again, uh, you know, it's the more poignant to bring this up at a time when the great majority of us do not have access to that sacrament. And to remember that confession, like all of the sacraments, they're gifts. We didn't do anything to earn them. We don't deserve them. They're gifts from God. And as uh, Job said, the, as he observed in his own life, the Lord giveth and the Lord has taken away. And I think one of the things that it struck me about uh, John Paul II um, making frequent confession a part of this pastoral plan is that so many Catholics were receiving Holy Communion every Sunday 
but hardly ever going to confession. And I don't know about you, but I don't, I, you know, I'm not holy enough to avoid the sacrament of confession and, and still be worthy uh, every single Sunday to receive communion. And how many people were not going on Sundays when they had the opportunity to, which is itself a mortal sin. And then when they do go, maybe even only at Easter and Christmas, they're, they're receiving communion. And it's called, it's a sacrilege. Uh, I, and, you know, I'm, I'm just a lay person. I can't really speak to that. Uh, but I remember Father Bill Casey saying, just compare the lines for confession on Saturday with the lines for communion on Sunday. And either we have a greater volume of saints in the church than ever before in history, or there just might be some sacrilegious communions. And again, I look at this COVID-19 situation and I say to myself, well, there aren't any, at least there aren't a lot, uh, you know, God uh, forbid that there's priests making sacrilegious communions. But, you know, uh, as far as this great volume of sacrilegious communions, that's come to a screeching halt. So something for us to be really aware of, especially when things kind of get back to normal. And that's also, I mean, that comes to this next point, which is to live by grace, that you live in a state of grace, that you live as a Catholic, you live a sacramental life, that you go to the sacraments that you can go to, you know, I mean, the most frequently, typically being the Holy Eucharist and, and confession, but also that you make uh, use, again, of the anointing of the sick, which is something else that's, you know, in uh, unfortunately in short supply in the midst of this this crisis. But also to make sure to live out the grace of your vocation in life, your confirmation and your baptism, especially matrimony if you're married and, and, uh, and holy orders if you're a priest or a deacon, to live by grace and to live a sacramental life. I always remind my RCIA students that uh, I say, you know, that you know that the Holy Spirit's already at work in your life because if he wasn't, you wouldn't be here, right? That initial grace of, of justification comes as this free gift of, of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so number five, live by grace. Number six is to meditate on the scripture and the catechism. Scripture and catechism, that's scripture and tradition. And then number seven is to bring the light of the gospel to a dark world. That is to say, to participate in evangelization. And we're going to talk about that and more uh, when we come back with lots more of No Nonsense Catholic right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay tuned, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome, Daniel. You're on the line. What's on your mind, brother? Hi, I just wanted to share a testimony about Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I had a buddy at work who, you know, he's a lukewarm Catholic guy, and I wanted him to start listening to the Terry and Jesse show, so I kept telling him to download the app, and he kept putting me off. So one day, I grabbed his phone, and I downloaded the app uh. for him. I went on vacation, and you know, I kept telling him to listen to it. He was kind of put me off. I came back from vacation. He comes to my cubicle, and he says to me, Hey, man, I've been listening to Terry and Jesse's show, and it's great. And it's uh, made a big impact in his life. The guy, he's going to weekly adoration a couple times a wow. week. He goes to the Mass in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, he's an on-fire Catholic, and he promotes the Terry and Jesse show in the Virgin Most Powerful Radio. 
Daniel, what a testimony. And I want to encourage our listeners to get those cards by going to virginmostpowerfulradio.org and uh, do what Daniel's doing. Go out and spread the faith by inviting people to listen to Virgin Most Powerful. Daniel, thanks for your testimony, brother. God love you. You're welcome. Jesus said in Matthew 26, Stay awake and pray that you may not enter into temptation. According to St. Ephraim, Jesus, who feared nothing, experienced fear and asked to be freed from death, although he knew it was impossible. How much more must we persevere in prayer before temptation assails us, so that we may be freed when the test has come? May God grant that we may withstand temptation and carry out His will in all things. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Matthew Arnold here, Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're talking about Novo Millennio Eniunte as we enter the third millennium and St. John Paul II's No Nonsense Steven Step Pastoral Plan to Survive the Third Millennium as a Catholic. And we can see how basic it is striving for holiness, prayer, uh, living a sacramental life, communion, confession living by grace, meditating on scripture and the catechism, you know, which means scripture and tradition, right? So much of uh, the church's tradition is really just her uh, official understanding of the Holy Scriptures. And, uh, you know, Billy Graham used to say, show me a man whose Bible is falling apart and I'll show you a man whose life isn't. And I agree with that, but I would also add this, show me a man whose catechism is falling apart, and I'll show you a man whose faith isn't. So meditating on Scripture and tradition. And then number seven is to participate in the new evangelization. And what was new about the new evangelization? Well, uh, Benedict XVI told us, uh, he referred to it as evangelizing the baptized, that it was about bringing the, the good news of Christianity back reminding these people that live in, in the Western world and what they're calling the post-Christian West, although there's no such thing. There's nothing, nothing after Christ. He's the, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There isn't any post-Christian anything. But, you know, we're understanding that our society has, has fallen so far that uh, we have this new evangelization, not only reaching out to people that have never heard the gospel, but uh, reinvigorating people who are lukewarm or fallen away or, you know, uh, living in a traditionally Catholic or Christian society, but living in such a way that you can't discern them from the rest of the world. 
Now, I remember when Father McCarthy uh, enlightened me, he showed me this and, and how excited I was about it. And, but there was something, you know, something bothered me. And I thought, what is it? What's missing here? And then it hit me. Where's Mary? Where, where's the rosary? I, John Paul II, I thought he was the Marian Pope. And Father McCarthy, once again, he reminded me about the encyclical that came out the next year called Rosarium Virginis Mariae, the Rosary of the Virgin Mary. And that's the key to living out this seven-step program. Now, at the time, I recall, I had just uh, almost completed this presentation for St. Joseph Communications called Pray the Rosary with the Psalms. And it was this whole thing with music and, and video and pictures of sacred art. And for every single Hail Mary, there was was a verse from one of the 150 Psalms going, starting at number one and going all the way through number 150 um, to show this, this connection, how uh, throughout our history, uh, lay people who had not, were not able to pray the divine office, who often couldn't read and, and, you know, so couldn't participate in this singing of the Psalms, which is the, you know, the other official liturgy of the church. Um, that they could unite themselves spiritually with the rosary. And so there's 150 Hail Marys, 150 Psalms. It's perfect. And and we were just about ready to release it when this document was issued, and everybody and his brother in the Catholic marketing world uh, jumped on the bandwagon. Oh, you know, your rosary's not complete without those luminous mysteries. Right? So we had to, um, had to produce another segment uh, for the luminous mysteries before we could release this rosary. And so I didn't really pay... Uh, that much attention to really what the document had to say. I was some, I already paid the rosary. Uh, you know, I was, I was doing my part. Um, but father, uh, McCarthy pointed out to me that it really is connected to the seven step program. And, and I, as I reread the document, it says the rosary, this is John Paul II now. So this is not just, you know, wishful thinking on my part. This is straight from the, the Pope's mouth. He says the rosary represents a most effective means of fostering among the faithful that commitment to the contemplation of the Christian mystery that I have proposed in my apostolic letter, Novo Millennio Eneunte. The rosary helps us to be conformed ever more closely to Christ until we attain true holiness. St. John Paul II had two PhDs. He was a scholar as well as a pastor of souls. He was probably the... Uh, one of, if not the best educated Pope that we've had in our history. And yet, when he looked forward to the, to the new millennium at the, at the end of his papacy, this is what he proposed to us. This no-nonsense, fundamental Catholicism, especially with recourse to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And, you know, with this um, coronavirus, there's a lot of people out there who are kind of tempted to believe that the end of the world is coming. And, of course, only God knows. But when we study the history of the church, it really it gives us reason to hope for a restoration of Christian civilization. And, and we can hope that it'll be a civilization, you know, not just like it was in the, in the high Middle Ages, but one that reaches even uh, greater and new heights of justice and holiness. And if that seems impossible, if you think to yourself, well, that would, be, that would take a miracle. Well, I would remind you there are precedents. The establishment of Christendom was a miracle. 
the, when we emerged from the Dark Ages, we saw this great blossoming of Catholic society. But that was a society whose seeds were sown by the blood of the apostles and the martyrs. This is an f- incontrovertible fact of history. But who, living under the persecution of the mighty Roman Empire, could ever even have dreamt that such a thing as Christendom was possible? I, I mean, we know that many early Christians in the catacombs were convinced that the end of the world was near. And, and after the persecutions, when, when Rome itself became Christian, you know, think about the faithful who witnessed the, the fall of the empire, who witnessed the, the barbarian invasions overrunning the, the, the last remnant of uh, Western civilization. You know, I think we're going to take the first step towards the restoration and the renewal that was hoped for by St. John Paul when we recognize the fact that the truths of Christian revelation can do more than just organize is the, the the church or or even provide guidance for, for Christians to reach heaven, which is the most important thing. But when the church had a great influence on culture, the Catholic truth spread beyond the four walls of the church and directly influenced the temporal order. You know, so much of, of what we have, we're, we're really, uh, Western society is living on the borrowed capital of a Christendom that they no longer appreciate. Uh, Pope St. Pius X said, civilization doesn't need to be invented. The new city uh, doesn't need to be built in the clouds. He said it exists. It's the Christian civilization, the Catholic city. We only need to establish it again and incessantly restore it on its natural and divine foundations to restore all things in Christ. You say, well, that was Pius X. He was way back when. Well, this is the same message of St. John Paul II in Novo Millennio Eniunte in the 21st century. He's said it's not a matter of inventing a new program. The program already exists. It's a plan found in the gospel and in the living tradition. It's the same as ever and ultimately has as its center Christ himself who is to be known and loved and imitated so that in him we may live the life of the Trinity and with him transform history until its fulfillment in the heavenly Jerusalem. This is a program that does not change with the shifts of time times, and cultures. This program for all times is our program for the third millennium. The program for for fulfilling the petition of the Our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is to build what the medievals called the earthly Jerusalem, what Pius X called the Catholic city, what St. John Paul II called the civilization of love. This This is our project. And it's a cause for great hope. When we look at the the history of the church, we have good reason to hope for a renewed period of true Catholic civilization. Because if God wills it, I mean, after, I think this is maybe a a, a cleansing chastisement that we're living through right now. If If God wills it and we cooperate, what once was can be again and even greater than before. And that is no nonsense. Finally, uh, something else I wanted to share in this kind of inaugural voyage here is that I am placing this program under the mantle of Our Lady, Virgin Most Powerful, particularly under her title, Our Lady of Good Help. I mean, that not only is the Shrine of Our Lady of Good Help the only approved Marian apparition in the United States, but her message, Mary's message was to teach catechism. She told the visionary, Adele Bryce, teach the children what they need to know for salvation. 
The Catechism tells us the heart of our religion is a relationship with God, to know, love, and serve Him. But you can't love Him or serve Him uh, until you first know Him. And so catechesis isn't just for children. Once again, St. John Paul II said, catechesis is for adults of every age, including the elderly, no less than for children, adolescents, and the young. John Paul II was Pope when I converted, and he left the church an enduring legacy of no-nonsense teaching that no progressivist pretense will ever be able to obscure. So I am entrusting no-nonsense Catholic to our Blessed Lady and to his intercession. And I want to close today with a, a couple of words of comfort for all of those who are suffering the coronavirus, those in the hot spots who are suffering from other illnesses and can't get treatment because their systems are so overwhelmed, uh, for all of us who are suffering the effects of sheltering in place, who've lost work or suffering from isolation or other anxieties, and also for the tens of thousands who will die, who will suffer and die of the flu this year as we do in every year. Listen to what John Paul II shares, said. He said, remember, Christ suffers with us, enabling us to share our pain with him. United to the suffering of Christ, human suffering becomes a means of salvation. People ask, why would God let this happen? Well, we'll never know this side of eternity just how many souls have been saved through embracing the suffering that God has seen fit to allow in our lives. St. John Paul reminds us that during this time of our rather subdued Easter joy, that pain accepted with faith becomes the doorway to the mystery of the Lord's redemptive suffering, a suffering that no longer takes away peace and happiness since it is illuminated by the splendor of the resurrection. And finally, he brings us to Mary. At the foot of the cross, he says, this is Pope John Paul, at the foot of the cross, Mary, made the mother of humanity, suffers in silence participating in her son's suffering, ready to intercede so that every person may obtain salvation. May she help every Christian to witness that the only authentic answer to pain, suffering, and death is Christ our Lord, who died and rose for us. Once again, the only authentic answer. And that's no nonsense. Um, man, Our Lady of Good Help, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. We'll see you next week, same time, same station, here Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I'm Matthew Arnold for No Nonsense Catholic. Thank you for being with us. Until we meet again, may God richly bless you and your family. In the 1990s, I lived and worked in Hollywood. But when my wife Betty's mom took ill, we relocated to Orange County. And it was during this time in our lives that I converted to Catholicism. Once my eyes were opened to the truth, I couldn't learn enough about the faith. But I had less free time than ever, especially with a long commute. That's when I discovered the real value of Catholic audio. Listening to cassette tapes transformed my daily commute into a miniature retreat. And that's the beauty of Virgin Most Powerful Radio today. Since the podcasts are archived, you can listen anytime on our smartphone app. I know how listening to Catholic audio can bring you closer to Christ and His Church, so I encourage you to visit the App Store or go to vmpr.org and download the app today. It just might change your life. I'm Matthew Arnold for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. 
Spurgeon Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.